Welcome to the Joy in Medicine podcast series. I'm Elizabeth Tracy. And I'm Charlie Cummings. Is surgery the last bastion of deeply entrenched hierarchy in medicine? On this month's Joy in Medicine podcast, we talk with denizens of the OR. Julie Caffrey, a burn surgeon at Johns Hopkins Bayview. Kevin Gerald, an anesthesiologist who worked in the burn center and now works for Johns Hopkins International. And Kathleen Presimone, a former OR nurse who now specializes in patient safety. And of course, Charlie, whose own career in surgery spans more than five decades. We asked Julie, a younger woman surgeon, whether it was even possible to achieve joy in the OR. Absolutely, there's joy in surgery. As the surgeon or provider, there's joy in fixing a problem. There's joy in relieving someone's pain. There's joy in reconstructing somebody's face so that they can walk down the street and not be recognized as abnormal. There's also joy in working with a team, like in the operating room. Kathleen says a high-functioning team is not a given, but once achieved, it is a blessing. Once you earn the trust of the team in the room, you quickly become a family. Once each role trusts your input, you're just part of that team that does this dance. You anticipate each other's steps throughout the day. Once you do build that teamwork and that camaraderie, you just dance through the day. And your patient is very much part of this team as well. Charlie and I caught up with Julie and Kevin outside the PACU, or post-anesthesia recovery unit, to talk more about teamwork. Everyone knows that they have the right to speak up for anything. You can be the person who cleans the floors, and if you see something wrong, you're expected to say, hey, that's wrong. I've seen that happen in the operating room that benefited the patient, whereas maybe many years ago that wouldn't have been acceptable. I had a fairly recent patient who's an older gentleman with a big burn, almost 70 years old, with a 60% burn, and so his mortality risk is up there, so 85, 90%. And he was on the operating room table. If you know burn patients, they have really fast heart rates. And when a patient's heart rate begins to drop, it's usually something bad is about to happen. And in this particular patient, I was operating, and the nurse called my attention and said, patient's heart rate is dropping. I think what she brought to my attention, maybe it was in like the 80s, and and she's like, it's continued to drop. And as I look up and see a heart rate in the 50s, and my patient normally has a heart rate of 150, mm. uh, prompted me to, just like in a movie scene, rip off the sheets. And by the time we started compressions, his heart rate was in the 20s. And we were able to save that patient's life. Had that nurse, who happened to be familiar with birth patients, not said something, if we waited a few seconds longer, we may not have been able to get him back. I mean, Kevin's, you've seen that a million times with his patients. Yeah. Johns Hopkins always promotes this culture of safety where anyone has the right to speak up if they have a concern. And we've certainly promoted that in the burn unit. And I think that someone raising an issue, expressing a concern, represents two opportunities. One is something potentially missed, so it's an opportunity to correct something. Or if that person is raising an issue that's not really a concern, it represents an opportunity to teach them. It used to be, back in the old days, someone who didn't want to receive information like that existed and was allowed to exist, and so that sort of mold perpetuated itself. Now, 
Someone like that would be expunged and inserted the team. Someone who didn't listen to information coming into the beneficial patient. That's the radical change, I think, in medical care. Kevin, you were bringing us around to another aspect of this that I'd like you all to reflect on, and that's teaching. Teaching in the OR and the uniqueness of this environment and an academic environment. Well, teaching represents the opportunity to affect the lives of others. And that teaching process engages everyone in the solution or in the process, and they develop an ownership interest. And they become stakeholders in the outcome. I think especially in burn surgery, we always have to educate the newcomers because the patients are such a subspecialist group. For me, I'm really fortunate because being part of a multidisciplinary group, it just breeds partnership and ideas and growth. And for me, I think that's really what the joy in burn surgery, I would say, is all about. It's about improving the outcomes, improving the patient experience. It's that group of people that you work with every day, that you grow together, you work together, you help people in restoring them to, if not the life that they had before their injury or illness, that something that was meaningful to them. Kathleen credits early efforts to improve patient safety, such as preoperative timeouts, with beginning the changes still underway today in OR culture. My understanding is that in the OR now, it's not just the right of the nurse or anybody else in the room to say, mm -hmm. hey, I think something's going wrong. It's an expectation. Yes, and a responsibility. To me, a very big responsibility for every individual. It's also everybody's individual responsibility to make sure all these people feel empowered to speak up. You could have someone that feels like, well, my opinion is not going to be valued, or somebody's going to roll their eyes at me, or someone's going to make me feel stupid, and then I'll just never speak up again. So what we try and do now, it's more of a team steps approach, is to have everybody introduce themselves at the beginning of a case, which makes you take that first step to speaking up. Kathleen says a recent possible patient safety issue that was brought to her attention illustrates the importance of ongoing open communication there was a patient that was noted to have a nickel allergy. Nursing spoke up, they just said, oh, doctor, did you know this patient has a nickel allergy? And we were gonna have an implant in this case that had nickel, and he said, oh yeah, yeah, I know, and then moved on. Well, the nurse felt that, okay, I wonder why he's not doing anything about that. Why are we doing this case? Why don't we have nickel-free implants? But they didn't say anything directly to the physician to do that second challenge. Felt dismissed, felt like they weren't heard, but apparently the physician already knew the allergy and already addressed it, already cleared it. That nurse had come to me and says, I feel like we might be putting our patient at risk because we have an allergy, the physician knows it, we're moving forward anyway, I'm concerned. So then we went and talked to the physician and he explained that, oh, we've already addressed this. It's really not a real allergy. It's to wearing cheap jewelry or something like that. And the amount of nickel in here and even followed up with someone else and a study. So we done all this back work, but did not take that moment to fill that nurse in about it. And then she also did not take that extra moment to say, okay, well, I don't understand. Why is this okay? So it really helped settle everybody's concern. But it also taught that nurse that I needed to use two challenges for clarification. And the physician to maybe if someone 
asks the question to maybe follow up and say, why is there a concern? And everybody's going to speak up next time and feel like it's safe to do so. Kathleen is optimistic about the ongoing prospects for joy in the OR. It's a very cool job. You make big differences with people's lives. You get to see a part of surgery nobody else sees. To be a part of that joint replacement or aortic valve or whatever it is, it's life-changing. Even if it's a carpal tunnel, this person is suffering and you can help. Charlie reflects on the durability of what drew him and he suspects many others to surgery. It dawned on me most when I was a first year surgical resident. I was on the general plastic surgical service at the University of Virginia. At that time, there was a specialty war between otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, and plastic surgery as to who was going to be the caregiver for patients who had head and neck cancers. I spent six weeks on both services. What became very apparent to me was of all the things in medicine that I'd seen, the head and neck cancer patient was the person who was the most impacted in terms of their own persona because they wore their head and neck cancers out in the open, face, neck, what have you, inability to communicate. All the things that make humans humans were not accessible anymore because of the tumors. That to me became a major focus. Here are people who not only have a bad disease, they've got a bad disease that is visible and demonstrable to anyone who they interface with. And that became something that uh, I couldn't get away from. That's the latest Joy in Medicine podcast, our music by Brian Garibaldi, something we deeply appreciate. This podcast series is brought to you in part through the generosity of the John Conley Foundation, which focuses on medicine and humanism.